Welcome in. Before we get rolling, I want to tell you about the awesome sponsors that are keeping this free for you guys. First on the list, we have Pacific Custom Calls. If you're looking for a waterfowl call at all, ducks, geese, cranes, whatever you're after, uh, Pacific Calls have got it. I personally run the uh, 509 Goose Call. Been doing it for a couple years, and I love it. Haven't had any issues with it yet. Uh, the guys over there are awesome. So if you're looking for a new call, you can find them at PacificCustomCalls.com. Uh, search them up. Find what you need. If they don't have it, they will soon. Next, we have DuckSeason.com. Uh, this is a website where you can go on, uh, put in your location, where you're at, what you hunt, what you go after, and you can link up with people from across the country and see what they go after, where they're at, and you guys can trade hunts. Uh, it's an awesome deal. If you uh, don't have the money to do a guided hunt or you don't want to have a guide and you just kind of want to do somewhat freelance, this is a uh, great way to do it. So get on there, get signed up. just takes a couple seconds to uh, get your info in there and you're uh, on the list and people can search through your state and find you. And It's a great thing. I'm on it. Look for me there. Maybe we can trade a hunt someday. Now we have Easy Deeks uh, decoy rigging systems, decoy weight systems. They do Texas rigs, timber rigs, whatever you're looking for for your floating uh, decoys or decoy bags or anything like that. They got it there. Uh, check them out. A lot of cool stuff on there. Their website is the letters E Z Deeks, D E K E S.com. Um, a lot of cool things on there. Go check them out. Now we got Waylon Johnson and his guide service. He's down in the San Antonio area. He's chasing all sorts of ducks and geese down there along with some fishing. Uh, if you're down in the area looking for uh, some birds or for some fishing, give him a call. His number is 361 494 seven eight six eight now for your decoy needs you should go check out big al's decoys uh silhouettes of about any word you can think of he's got on there uh swans ducks geese pigeons turkeys and uh possibly some more cool things in the future big things so uh if you're looking for some decoys go check them all out they got bags and everything on the site uh it's big al's decoys.com b-i-g-a-l-s-d-e-c-o-y-s.com and on to uh, a custom lanyard site. If you're looking to uh, get a new lanyard, hang your calls on, looking for something to get customized, uh, Landon does a great job. He's at uh, Darkwater Customs. You can find him on Instagram and put an order through him that way, at dark underscore water underscore customs. Get on there, check it out. He does some awesome work. Uh, not just lanyards, he does haulers too. So uh, get after it. Go get him. Go get something cool from him. Now we've got Steady Wing Outfitters. That's Mikey Soberano over in Northeast Kansas. He specializes in waterfowl, turkey, deer. I know for waterfowl season coming up, he's uh, ready and raring to go. So if you're looking for a hunt over in that area, give him a call. His number is 785-410-2304. And last but not least, we have Highline Retrievers. That's my dog training business up here in Northeast Montana. Uh, if you're looking to get your dogs trained, if you're looking for advice, uh, whatever you need, I'm always available. I'm always uh, willing to help out. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, all the places. And then if you need to get a hold of me, uh, my number is 406-783-7083. Thanks a lot. Thanks to all of our sponsors. And enjoy the show. Well, Covey took wing, shotgun singing, a pointing dog down in the old logging road. And then he got three and looked back a grinning. I fumbled around and I tried to reload. The country was cold. 
All right, welcome to the Woods and Water Podcast. This is Garrett. Today I have Natalie Spalding on. Uh, she's from Central Kentucky and she runs some tracking dogs. So Natalie, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi everyone. Um, I'm Natalie Spalding and I am a nurse by trade. Um, love to hunt. I'm obsessed with deer hunting. I'd also like turkey hunting, but um, deer is, is my passion. Um, so, and as Garrett said, I do have a couple of tracking dogs. I have a um, seven seven year old yellow lab, and he's my my veteran tracking dog. And I have a one year old black lab who is my puppy in training. So, this is our has been our fourth season tracking with a dog. Um, I st- I've been <laughs> I've been hunting since I was ten years old. So. Um, I don't want to spoil my age, but that's been over 30 years. <laughs> so I've been deer hunting for over 30 years. Um, I started bow hunting about 14 years ago. And that's mostly where I learned um, about how to track deer. Because prior to that, with gun hunting, most of the time, you you know, I just saw them fall. Or I was used to that, that gun hunting mentality where you just you just walk and you you find your deer laying there. So I really didn't have to try much tracking until I started bow hunting. And, um, I really learned the basics of, of human tracking, um, from my husband. And I met my husband in an archery shop and he really helped introduce me into archery hunting. Um, I was actually proposed to over a deer track. (laughs) (laughs) I got got my wedding ring, uh, tracking it. It was a fictitious track. He had, he tricked me and, um, had me come out and try to track a deer that really hadn't been shot. So, um, that's a funny story, but that's where I learned really to the basics of, of tracking deer. Um, and I, I'm just, I like the camaraderie of deer recovery. If someone calls me in the middle of the night and said, Hey, I need you to come help me find this deer, or I need you to come load this deer up with me. Like I'm the kind of person that would jump out of bed and be happy to go do that because I think that's fun. So that's, that's kind of where I started is learning how to really track deer. Um, now, I didn't start with my dog until four seasons ago. Um, my first got my dog Timber is my oldest dog. He just turned he actually just turned seven last week. And when I initially got him, my goal was to do shed hunting with him. Um, and and that's exactly what I did the first year. I, I taught him how to shed hunt. Um, prior to that, I didn't I didn't have any um, children, so. I spent all my time shed hunting with him and, um, we did a lot of like field trials for shed hunting. We did a lot of traveling and I used that dog bone program, um, when I was teaching him how to shed hunt. And part of that program, there was actually some, um, some training for the, the wounded deer tracking. And I had, I had that kit. So in, in 2018, um, my husband and I had our first child and, um, so I really, I really didn't get into it that year. And I killed my, my buck early in 2019. I killed it in early October. So I had a lot of, a lot of extra time, um, where I wasn't going to be hunting. And that's when I started training him on the tracking in 2019. I spent, I was very blessed because Timber's kind of a ready to go type of dog. He, uh, he catches on very quickly. And I think I spent about six weeks with him, just intense tracking. He loves to work. He's a workaholic. He, if you train every day, he doesn't care. So I spent about six weeks with him, um, on the tracking training and 
a couple times over the summer before that, that 2020 season. And, um, my initial intentions were to just do about 10 tracks a year, just for myself and, um, family and friends. And I had joined the United blood trackers, not knowing that that meant people, people were going to call me. Um, and people started calling me, um, the public did. And at first I was pretty apprehensive about that because I wasn't experienced with the dog. And I finally just ripped off the bandaid and started going. And I ended up doing 50 tracks that first year. Um, so that <laughs> my husband said, he said, that's not what we initially talked about <laughs> or signed up for. <laughs> so I was addicted very quickly. Um, it was, it's very addicting. So, um, I did 50 tracks that first year. Um, and I figured out, and it took me all 50 of those public tracks to figure out what, what I was doing with the dog to learn my dog's communication and to really, to know, I figured out very quickly, the only person that needed training was me. Um, because tracking with a dog is, is very much a team effort. It takes the human and the dog to do that successfully. And I was the weakest link. So, um, I learned a lot that first year and I'm still learning. I learned something new every year. So, and on average, I think I do, I, I typically I've done 85 tracks this year. Um, I do have a full-time job. I have a five-year-old daughter, the two dogs, and I work for a nonprofit on top of that. And I'm in grad school. So 85 tracks is, is a lot. And that's, I probably turn away just as many, but I, I can't get to everybody. So um, I do do several every year. Okay. You hit on a bunch of things that I was going to ask about. So that was one of them. You said, what was oh. it, 40 or 50 on your first year? What's that? On your first 50. year, did you 50? Fit my first year, I did 50, 50 tracks for the public, yes. So was that just you or like was your husband game in on it too or did he just kind of come no. in later or what? My um, my husband doesn't really, okay, he he's really coming in, in on it more this year. Um, because he is, you know, he taught me to how to track as a human and he's a, a big archery hunter. And like, he really, when I'm tracking with a dog, what, what it would take an archery hunter hours to do, just steadily following blood and looking for that sign. Like I can do in five minutes with a dog and I'm just flying through there. Like it, it's so fast. And he didn't like, he's like, no, we need to stop and check. So he really had a hard time with that at first with the, with the dog, because I'm looking at the dog and, and sometimes I'll see things on the ground or I'll see sign and my dog moves very, very quickly, qu much quicker than he should. Um, so a lot of times I'm not seeing what's on the ground. I, if I do, that's great. I'll mark it. But if not, I'm just watching the dog. Um, so that was really hard for him to overcome. Like we're, we're trusting, we're putting all our trust in the dog. We're surrendering to the dog and we're just going to follow the dog and watch what he's telling us because the dog is telling me if that deer's alive, is the deer dead? Is it over the next ridge? Do we need to pick up the pace? Cause we're actually like this deer's on hoof and he's trying to chase it at this point. Um, whereas my husband wants to look at the ground. Um, <laughs> and, and he's still kind of, <laughs> he's still kind of, you know, it, it now in that first year, he really didn't go with me a whole lot. He's went with me more this year than ever, but, um, I typically go out after my daughter goes to bed. My daughter just figured out I tracked like this year, I think. Um, because she, you know, she, I was always doing it with, once she's in bed, she was a young toddler. She never knew I even did it because 
she didn't know I was gone. So he was usually here with my daughter, but he's went with me a lot more this year. And um, he's good at, at holding hunters at bay. So they're not just walking blindly, blindly behind me or trying to figure out what's going on. And he also is great at um, marking anything I find, like marking blood and stuff and confirming with me, hey, you just flew past this, but I did see a drop of blood here. So, mm-hmm. um, and he actually, <laughs> because I'm training a puppy, I'm, I'm putting a puppy on a lot of these tracks first. And if the puppy can't figure it out, then I pull timber in. Um, so there's been times where he'll go switch dogs out for me in the car and, um, on one of the tracks, I was so far away with the puppy and I knew we were too far. And I said, just go grab Timber and start him on the line. He's like, I don't know. I, I'm not really comfortable with that. And I said, just do it. He's he's autopilot. Just do it. <laughs> he actually ran the dog by himself and, and found the deer. So that he, I guess, did his first track with, <laughs> with the dog this year. So. so is it pretty much you just look for the dog's tail and follow him around then? Or you're not oh, doing? I wish it was that easy. <laughs> okay. So I guess, well, what, what's your role? Yeah, Cause what you know, you said, so it's a, a, yeah, you said it's a team. A so hunter, how's it go? Yeah. So as a hunter, it looks like I'm just, I guess if you're a hunter watching, it looks like all I do is uh, we're an on lead state. So, you know, by law, my dog has to be on a lead. It has to be within my control at all times. Whereas some of the more Southern states, you know, they can sit at the car and let the dog go and the dog can bay the deer and then they can go catch up with the dog. But, in Kentucky, the dog does have to be on lead. Okay. So as a hunter, like watching me, you're, it looks like I'm just putting the dog on a lead and I have a 30 foot lead. It's a long lead. So it looks like I'm just following the dog through the woods, which, which I am, I am following the dog. Um, but I'm also based off, like I can almost tell the second my dog hits that when I call it a line, like that scent line. It can almost tell you, like, is this deer going to be dead on arrival? Or are we going to be chasing a deer? Is this deer not even that wounded? Um, but that took a long time for me to get to that. Um, there was so much. And then there's just, there's so many other aspects to it. So, like, I have to know how scent behaves. Because in different weather and different terrains, scent behaves differently. Like, you can get in scent pools. Like, I have to know when the dog's in trouble, like, I, I can recognize with my veteran dog and I'm still learning with the puppy, but like when he gets a scent pool, when I say a scent pool, like it's just a big cloud of scent mm-hmm. and the dog is just like running in circles and zigzagging because he can't find his way out of it. And that, that scent pool typically happens if a, if a deer stays in an area for a long period of time, if we have just jumped a deer, maybe we didn't see, we didn't see the jump, but the deer was just there. Um, so he's left like a large amount of scent in that area or the deer could be laying there dead and the dog's just trying to pinpoint exactly where he is because at that point he's got his head up off the ground. He's no longer like tracking scent on the ground. He's got his head up because he smells the deer and he's trying to like pinpoint exactly where he is. So, so at that point is when it gets exciting or yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's, it's always exciting um, because my dog and not all dogs do this, but my dog is just, he's like speedy Gonzalez. Like he just, he's a hundred miles an hour. So that whole first year I spent most of my time um, knocked down on the ground because he's 80 pounds. He's tall. He's, he's big, he's strong. Um, And he, 
I was just getting jerked around everywhere on the ground. So I now I run him on a pinch collar now, which slows him down a little bit. But he's he's got to the point where he's almost immune to that. Um, he'll just pull right through it. So like if he's pulling like really hard, like and in a lot of it too is I have like a preconceived notion before I even get to a track. Do I think this deer's like lethally hit or not? So if, you know if I know going into a track that the deer is gut shot. And I know it, inevitably it's going to die if it's given enough time. Like I kind of, I can tell by like the speed of the dog and how hard he's pulling basically if that deer's like already expired or if he's still on his feet. So I'll give you an example. I took, um, I took a track. It was a stomach shot deer. It was this year as for a neighbor. And, um, he had initially pushed the deer. He had, the deer had already went 400 yards. I'd asked him to back out. So I arrived 24 hours after the shot. And when I started the dog, like he was moving actually very slow, very methodical. And I'm like, okay, this is definitely, he's lethally hit. This deer's, this deer's going to expire. I can tell by the dog's behavior. He, the dog finds, he finds a bed. We mark the bed. We get a couple hundred yards out past that, that bed. And I noticed that he started picking up his pace and we get another hundred yards out and like he's, he's running faster. And then all of a sudden he's he's running full pace and pulling me as hard as he can, like almost trying to get away from me, like trying to get this deer. And I've not seen the deer yet, but at this point I'm like, this deer's still on its feet. And I know he's going, he's going to expire because of the way the deer, the dog initially reacted. And, and I've seen the arrow. It, it's, it went through the guts. The deer's going to expire, but it's not there yet. And so, and the hunter probably thought I was crazy at the time, but I told him, I was like, we're chasing your deer. And he just kind of, I mean, like, we haven't seen the deer, but I'm like, I can tell, like, we're, we're full on chasing your deer. This, this dog is trying to run as fast as he can and pull us through the woods as fast as he can, as hard as he can to try to get to this deer. I don't think he's dead yet. And I said, if we keep going, we're going to push him off your property and the neighbor's going to get him because he's going to die. So I said, let's back out. And like, I feel like you can, the way the property, like it was mostly open fields and small woods. I was like, you can watch for birds and, and see this deer when he dies. So I got a call 50 hours later, 50 hours post shot. And he said, I got him. And he's like, it was, he had freshly just expired. This is, of course, like pre-rut. So, you know, deer go forever. But mm -hmm. the deer had actually returned to his first bed that we had found and expired right there. And he found him, like, fresh the next day. It was, like, right behind his house. So, just, like, knowing how to read the dog and, like, putting that together in that situation. Like, I know the deer's going to die. I know he's, you know, the dog's running him now. He's probably, we've, at some point we've jumped him. He's on his feet. If we keep going, we're just going to push him miles away. And this guy's never going to see this deer again. So like, you know, best case is to back out and, and let the deer have his time to die basically. And that's, so, I mean, it worked out and I mean, he found that the deer was still limber when he found it. It was like, it came back to that first bed, which was like right behind the guy's house. And, and literally laid back in the same bed that we had found when we initially started tracking the deer. And so that's what you mean when you said it's kind of like teamwork between you and the dog too? Because it, yeah. if it was just like follow the dog, then... Then I would have never quit running. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it just hit a property line and 
we'd all be scratching our heads like, well, what, you know, what, what happened? Yeah. Yeah. All right. <sighs> it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. I, I've just got lot. so many questions. on it. I'm curious about it because it's not really a thing up here. So I'm going to start with, I've got a couple listener questions first. I'm going to start with those. Then I'm going to go back to my personal one just so we don't run out of time on these. Um, okay. First one is from Ben Bricky. He wants to know what is the best dog breed in the world and why is it the German short hair pointer? <laughs> well, so that's a good question. And that's, that's going to be basically everyone's preference. So I will say that any dog with prey drive is capable of doing this. Um, I mean, I've seen every different breed. Um, all dogs have the same amount of scent receptors in their, in their nose with the exception of the bloodhound, which has more than any other dog, but all dogs have the same capability as far as like scent receptors in their nose. What they do with that scent through those receptors, like the co it's more about the deer's co or the dog's cognition. So how they interpret that scent and how they can work with that, with their brain functions to put that whole piece of the puzzle together is, is what's important. I think if you're trying to pick a dog breed, I think you need to do what's best for you and your family. Um, because, and, and I'll say this too, cause people, people ask me, well, how can I get started? You know, what dog should I get? Um, and the first thing I tell people is, well, it's kind of like having a kid. That's the kind of commitment you're signing up for. So, you need to make sure <laughs> you can take on that kind of commitment. Um, but I would pick, I would pick a dog that you feel comfortable working with. So like some people like smaller, you can, you know, my friend has a tackle. It's a, the dog probably weighs, I don't know, 15 pounds at most. It's very tiny. She can pick it up. Um, some people like small dogs. Some people like large dogs. I'm, I'm kind of a large dog person. Um, I've, I personally like the lab because I think they're incredibly smart. And the perfect um, dog all the way around. You can just say right. that. Yeah. There you go, Ben. You're right. I mean, they're incredibly smart. Um, most of these tracks are not clean. There, there's a lot of human contamination. There's a lot, everything stacked against you. And I think they, their critical thinking capabilities um, are great for that. I've, I call, I've had some tracks that I call Hail Mary tracks. They're maybe like 50 to 70 years, hours old. And they've been walked up by seven guys drinking beer. And um, they've rode the ATV all over it. They've The neighbors have been out. And like sometimes I can put my dog on it. And like we have the deer in 10 minutes. Now that's not always the case. But I mean they just. he He's just really good at, at solving problems. Um, and. I think every, every breed's just, their temperament's different. You'd really just have to pick what's best for you and like make a commitment to that and, and put in the work. Um, I think a lot of it is like some people ask, well, you do, do you train dogs? Would you train my dog? And I don't recommend someone else training it. There are people that train for tracking and I think that's fine, but you're really shorting yourself if you don't train your own dog, because the human really has more to learn than yeah. the dog does. And knowing the dog too, because there'll be a learning cur curve right. if the dog, it's so, the same things. If you send your dog to a trainer for bird hunting, right. that trainer's going to know your dog better than you will. Well, and here's the thing. It's like, it's, it would be almost the equivalent of 
me, someone giving me a heavy piece of machinery that I don't know how to operate and then saying, okay, well, go use this, this great tool. Well, I don't even know how to turn the thing on. Like, <laughs> I, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know how you're to not going to get out of it. Um, what somebody who's run it for a long time. Right. We'll get out of right. it. Right. And, and to learn your dog, you have to spend thousands of hours behind your dog to learn them. Um, and to learn what they're telling you. And my dog has new tails every year. Like he, he's constantly evolving and changing. Um, I mean, he started pointing a couple years ago, like right before we would like jump a deer, he started like pointing and that was new. And it's, there's something new every year that he starts doing. And like, there's no way for me to learn that without just putting in that time behind him. Now you're um, really going to make some people mad. There's people on the hard line that don't believe labs will point if they're actually a lab. Oh, no, 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 no. No, they will point. Uh-huh. There are, there are a lot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, they'll point. <laughs> oh, I believe you. I've seen it. <laughs> yeah, it happens. <laughs> uh, I don't think most people see labs pointing at deer. Um, that might be That might be a new one, so... So, all right, next question. This is from Drew. This one's kind of a longer one, so you can break it down how you want. He wants to know, in your experience, how far will a deer go before dying or bedding based on, like, a single lung shot versus a liver shot versus stomach shot versus high shoulder, you know, all the shots that you might get a call for? And then off of that, too, what shot worries you the most? Like, if a guy says, I shot it here, I saw the arrow hit, which one of those makes you go, oh, crap, this is going to be hard? Okay, well, let me start by saying that the recovery rate for all, like, if you don't screen tracks and, like, what I would call cherry pick them, like, saying, okay, if somebody calls, I'm like, I know that a lot of times I'll tell them on the phone, I don't think your deer's dead, but I'll come check it anyway, because I've seen weirder things happen. But if if I don't weed out the ones that I don't think are dead, the recovery rate's probably 30 to 40%. Okay. So... That just knowing that there's a reason people can't find their deer. A lot of these deer are not fatally hit. Um, so I, I guess his question, it varies between weapon too. So if you're talking about archery versus like high caliber rifle, um, I guess we'll start with the one lung, my least favorite. <laughs> one lung's your least favorite. Because- yeah, well, just because it's so it's so unpredictable. Um, I've seen so many different scenarios with with one lung, and it's there's no rhyme or reason to it. So there's no like set rules. So I recovered um, my dad's first velvet buck this season. It was a single lung hit. It was hit at the very just sliced the very top of one lung. Um, the deer went 800 yards. It never bedded. Um, I would have told you while I was tracking the deer, there's no way this deer is going to die. Um, but it did. And, and I mean, I, was it just it, not putting out blood or what? No, it, it put out blood. There was, there was like minimal blood on the track, which most tracks, there's not blood when I get there. So that's, I'm not worried about not seeing blood all the time, but it was bright red blood, which is typically muscle blood. And he actually hit the deer he actually hit it between the shoulder and the neck and super high on the back. But because he was shooting elevated, like he was in a stand, but the deer was down a hill, it the arrow went down and, and actually clipped into the top of that lung. Mm. 
So if you actually saw the shot on the deer, and if I saw the hole in the deer, I would have been like, no way that deer dies. That's a complete muscle hit. But like, because the arrow went, was going downhill, it cut into the top of that lung. And, and like high lungs actually take, you know, longer. There's, so at the bottom of the lungs, you have all your big vessels. And then mm -hmm. at the top of the lungs, it's just small capillaries. So you can double lung a deer. And my husband's done this. High double he, lung. Like, dub high double lung and that deer could go three to 400 yards yeah i've seen that i mean it's just a straight death run but like you're hitting it's just capillaries at the top so like they go a lot longer and a lot further um it takes a little bit longer so um that's one that's one scenario with a one lung deer i've i've had plenty of one lung deer where that i will go in and i will track them eight tenths of a mile to a mile. So properties are not very large here in Kentucky. Most people, I mean, some people are archery hunting on like five acres. Sometimes it's a hundred to 200 acres. Um, so you run out of property lines pretty quick. So a lot of times we can't finish tracks because we hit a property line, but there's been plenty of like one lung deer where I've tracked them. I feel like an eight tenths of a mile to a mile. Um, and then we'll kind of the dog will lose interest and we'll kind of leave them in. They typically don't die for like days later. Um, and they typically die like fairly close to where I left them. Um, but it's usually, I, I want to say like five to seven days later. So I feel, I feel like most one lung deer with archery, I feel like they, they do expire eventually. Um, but sometimes it's not going to be in the time period I'm there. And then I've had a couple of one lung deer. I actually had one deer this year that's been hit in a single lung twice and he's still on his feet with an iron wheel broadhead, which is one of, one of my favorite broadheads for fixed heads. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. So that's now with a gun, with a rifle, one lung deer will die. They're typically dead within four to six hours. Um, if they're not pushed by the hunter, they typically bed and I would say... I don't know, under 100 to 150 yards. If they're not pushed, they're going to be dead there. Um, if they're pushed, they'll keep going a couple hundred more yards and, and bedding again until they're left alone to expire. So um, the one lung deer with, with a rifle die fairly quickly. Um, I, I don't, there's no rhyme or reason to a one lung deer. And I don't know that there's really a good approach because if you go after them right away and like you push them and you push them, the problem here is we typically run into property line issues. Um, so if I chase your one lung deer off the property, then we're kind of dead in the water. So I had a guy call me this year and he was on 60 acres and he was surrounded by all urban neighborhoods around that, that he did not have access to. And he had hit it. He shot his deer in the shoulder. He felt like, I think he got like, maybe eight to 10 inches of penetration. He felt like he had got one lung. And so we talked about it on the phone and I'm like, you know, I can come track that for you, but I feel like you're so close to a property line. I'm going to run it off the property line and you're not going to have access to it. Like it's just, it's basically going to be gone and it probably will die later. I've, and you know, I hate to leave people to like looking for birds. So I'm like, if you watch this property, for, for birds, like you're going to find your deer. And so he called me back a couple of days later and he's like, you're right. I watched for birds. And like, I literally went in there as soon as I saw the birds, like I went in there and I found him. He's freshly expired. 
And I'm like, so, I mean, that works out. Like we didn't run him off the property. Mm -hmm. I've had somewhere it was on 12 acres and like we pushed him onto this lady's property and we didn't, no one wanted to go knock on her door at midnight um, with headlamps on because we thought we would kind of creep her out. So (laughs) (laughs) we, uh, we backed out and the guy watched that property for like seven days and then finally the birds came in and like another one long deer like he was able to go in there and get it but i most of them are not dead in the time period i'm there and most people don't have the property lines to push them until they're weak enough to like to try to dispatch them yep so that's it's a challenge uh with one lung deer um and there's like i said there's no really no rules when it comes to archery um some of them actually make it so yeah. Um, gut shots. I've all gut shots are going to die. When I say gut shot, I mean like stomach, liver, intestinal. Um, they are going to expire. I've had one that survived and, and that was kind of, a uh, just a weird situation. The guy shot it with a rage, got entry and exit smack in the center of the deer. Um, but the rage did not deploy. So it put Mm. small holes in it. And where have I heard that before rage? (laughs) It happens. I think more so on the older rages, the ones that had the collars Mm -hmm. on them. Um, that's typically the case more. I think the, the newer ones are a little different setup, but, um, I spent five hours on that track because I wasn't leaving until I had that deer because I was determined it was dead. And there's, I wasn't leaving until I had it. And, um, the dog kept telling me the deer was alive and I just, I just kept running it and running it because I was determined I was going to have that deer. And I mean, we finally just had to throw the towel in and the guy contacted me like a month later and he's like, the deer's back on camera. And you could see the deer was walking around hunched up, looked pretty rough. Um, you could see the whole, um, where he had actually hit the deer, small, small hole. And like, there was actually, um, scar tissue, like forming around it. And the guy was from Michigan and he had a lease down here in Kentucky. And I said, like, the deer looks like he's hanging around the feeder. You ought to come back down this weekend and shoot him. And he did. And the son ended up shooting the deer, um, and, and got him, but he actually, he survived for a month. Um, wow. But that and he was, was still alive when you shot him, obviously. Yeah, yeah. He hit him in the shoulder, um, recovered him like 80 yards later. So, wow. Um, so on archery, I have a minimum 12 hour wait, and that's early season wait. That's like not when we get into rut time. Because everything's at the table once you get to a rut. You have no idea what's going to happen. Well, and they, they're, they're like, freak deer when it comes to rut they don't yeah. even slow down they don't even know they're hit so you have to give them more time yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. i had yeah. one that i shot with a rifle that didn't even know he got hit like he was trailing uh-huh. doe he was hot on her and i hit him like he was walking right on her trail it like you could tell that he felt the shockwave like looked around to see if something hit him and then he kept on falling and he followed her until he tipped over another like 30 or 40 yards away yeah so yeah they don't they don't know they're hit um so on anything behind, when I say like gut shot, I'm like anything behind that diaphragm, which the diaphragm like divides the lungs from the abdominal cavity. So anything behind that diaphragm, I want a minimum of 12 hours. Um, I've walked up on deer that are liver shot, like straight liver shot at 17, 18 hours and they're completely fresh. Um, 
I've had stomach shots. Actually, I talked about the one that, that made it 50 hours. The, especially like a, if it's a low stomach shot, they can um, last well over 24 hours. I've walked up on them at 28 hours and they're freshly expired. Um, now, I will say, and not that I, I, well, I guess we can talk about broadheads later, but um, I, I shoot a fixed head and I, I have different, you know, broadheads, different favorite broadheads for different situations. But I will say on a large cutting mechanical, it does reduce the time, I think, that it takes for them to expire if you get a pass through in the abdominal cavity. Okay. Um, so when, when someone calls me and they say they, they've got shot their deer with a rage and the arrow passed in and out of them, I'm like, yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> because they've, I, they've done a lot of damage. I, I like a rage that, that goes through like in and out guts. Um, it's, I do think that helps the deer expire quicker. Um, as long as it deploys, of course. So <laughs> that's an issue. Yeah. As long um, as you don't field point shoot them. Yeah. Now the further you get back on the deer, like, so when I say the further you get back, so you, you know, have got the diaphragm, the, the stomach and liver there, and then you've got like the small and large intestine, like the further you get back towards the ham of the deer, like those intestinal shots, the longer you have to wait to track that deer. Okay. So the longer you've got to get them. Um, it's never a bad idea to give your deer 24 hours. So when in doubt back out oh yeah (laughs) oh yeah especially if you're tight on property lines because they will go the distance yeah um now most of the calls i get are most of the time when i'm getting called like i would say 60 to 7 percent of the time it's for a muscle hit so people have shot the deer in the shoulder um they've shot them like high in the back um frontal shots I think, I think part of his question was, what's the worst shot you can take? I, if, if I could tell anyone anything, I would tell them to stay off the shoulder. Put your shot behind the shoulder. No matter how the deer is, if the deer is quartered to you, if it's quartered, if it's quartered away, put it further back, shoot for your exit. That's mm-hmm. another mistake I see people doing is they, they tuck in tight to the sh- shoulder on a quartered away deer. And you may not even enter the, the chest cavity doing that. You may shoot straight out through the brisket. So... Um, on a quarter away deer, like shoot for your exit when you're, regardless of what weapon you're using, shoot for your exit, stay off the shoulder and then those high back hits. So I think a lot of people think that the spine of the deer is at the top of the, the back of the deer. And that's, that's actually not the case. That spine sits about six inches below the, that hairline of the deer and in between. And then all the organs sit below the spine. Um, so everything above the spine is just bone and muscle. It's vertebrae. And what happens when you hit that, regardless of whether it's archery or gun is that deer drops immediately. It's like, it's a spinal shock and you have not actually hit the the spine. The deer's not going to be immobilized forever. It drops. It may roll around. I've had people where they, they crawl out of the field on their stomach. Um, sometimes they'll lay there for 30 minutes and pretend like they're dead. And that's when people let their guard down and they start celebrating and calling people. I've had people actually touch them. And then all of a sudden that, that deer jumps back up and you'll never see it again. <laughs> <laughs> you will never see it again. I like 
we will never catch up to that deer. Um, so, and, and it really, it's deceiving to people because I think there's no way that deer can make it. It's so hurt. It was laying there for 30 minutes and it crawled out. Of the, it couldn't even walk straight. It couldn't get out of the field. Well, all you did was knock it silly for a second. And um, it's basically like it passed out and it, it just got knocked off its feet. And like, they'll regain their consciousness and they'll go on. They'll, you'll never see them again. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of those. And then the worst shot I think anyone could take is a full frontal shot. And there are a ton of gun hunters that like that shot. And it's probably worked for them nine out of 10 times that deer drops and they never have to call a tracker. But if you have to call me for a frontal shot, the, and I tell, I'm transparent with people. If like, if you shot your deer facing you and you have to call me, your the chances of recovery are extremely, extremely low. So, um, they'll probably, if it's a high caliber rifle, they're probably going to die days later just from tissue damage and maybe like infection or they may get run down by coyotes, but like, they're not going to be dead in the time period down there. Unless um, you caught the jugular or you, you know, got it all the way back to the heart or whatever. Well, yeah, but if they do that, they don't, they yeah, don't need, they don't need you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's the, yeah. They don't need to call me now on archery. It's really, and a lot of times what I see people do when they they're making that frontal shot, which I would just say to just don't even make the shot, but what they'll do is they'll go to the left or the right of the center of the chest, thinking that they're shooting into one of the lungs. And that chest actually comes to a sharp bow. And when you hit to the side of it, your arrow just deflects and it runs up behind the leg of the deer and you never enter the chest cavity. Yeah. And you can, those people will track those deer for seven or 800 yards on bright red blood. They keep thinking the deer is going to be expired, but like they typically make it with archery. They're typically, I've only seen one. I've, I've recovered one frontal shot. It was this year. Um, that was an archery hit deer. Um, and the guy, it was actually unintentional. The deer spun when he shot and he ended up being a frontal shot. Um, but he hit it. And just that little quarter center, center part of the chest. And it actually went all the way through and exited out the guts. Um, and that's the only time I've seen that work out. And it was just kind of a fluke. He wasn't even intending to shoot it there. So um, it's very, uh, very rare that we recover, recover a frontal hit deer. So I don't know if I touched on all that or not. I could go on about that for, <laughs> I could tell stories for <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll tell you a story about a frontal hit deer just to give you an idea. So I do, um, there's a disabled youth hunt in my county that's put on by the conservation officers. And I track all the deer for the youth hunters. Um, and I'm always tracking with one of the conservation officers. So, um, and I typically would never track deer like right after the shot like that, but they like to recover them immediately. So the conservation officers go with me and the deer's not expired, then they assist in that process. So there was a deer that was shot literally center of the chest. It was a, about a 50 pound doe, it's very small, smaller than my dog. We'll put it that way. Smaller than my dog. She was shot center of the chest. I didn't know where she was shot, but that night we tracked her. We actually caught her bedded twice the second time where we got to her bed i got the officers within about three yards of her but she was in such thick briars they couldn't see her to dispatch her she jumped up we followed her another two or three hundred yards and we 
and we finally said, you know what, let's just back out and come back in the morning. We can't do this all night. We keep jumping this deer. And they thought it was like a one long hit. So we go back the next morning. This is like 17 hours after the shot. We go back the next morning. We put the dog on last blood and we're, I was tracking in the conservation officer and my husband were sitting back in the ATV because we're at this point, we're assuming this deer is expired. I was tracking in short grasses and the, the dog was just kind of moving kind of nonchalant and I wasn't really on edge for a live deer, but he all of a sudden like jerked and took me in these large grasses and the, the deer jumped up and I started reeling him in. She jumped up. And at that time I saw the huge hole in her chest she reared up on her on her hind legs and tried to attack my dog. This is a 50-pound <laughs> really? fawn. 17 hours after the shot. She's stomped, like, coming up on her rear, rear legs and, like, trying to stomp down on my dog, trying to trying to hurt him. I'm, like, reeling him at this point. I'm yelling for help because I've, I have my pistol, but I don't have a long <laughs> arm or anything. And she's just standing there, like, facing both of us, like, bring it, lady. Bring it. I dare you. <laughs> she's going to stand her ground. And of course the dog's going crazy. Um, so I I'm holding on to the dog and waiting on somebody to come with a, with a gun. So I move over to the side because I'm like, I'm not going to shoot her again front on. Cause I know that's going to do no good. Um, she's already got a hole in her chest. So I moved to the side of her and I, um, I kind of took a quarter two shot and I put a couple rounds and, and it hit her in the guts. And so she ran 30 yards and stood there and that was enough time for the, the conservation officer to, to catch up and, and finish, finish the job. But, um, four rounds in her 50 pounds, smaller than my dog, 17 hours after the shot, shot straight on with a 350 legend in frontal chest and wasn't expired. So imagine if that's a over 200 pound buck, especially running up buck. Right. So like I, I tell people that story to give them an idea of, like on the full frontal shots, like the chances are while I'm there, I'm not going to recover that deer in the time period I'm there. He's probably going to die later, probably from tissue damage, um, especially if it's like a high caliber rifle or from, um, you know, infection, but we're not, you know, we're not going to recover that deer while we're there. It's very, the, the odds are very low. So um, and a lot of people like don't even get in the chest cavity on those shots. So a lot of times they're like high shoulders or neck, even when they're, when they make those shots. So, yeah. Um, I think I hit on all the, all the different types. But. Yeah. You cover that yeah. really well. Yeah. You're really good on that one. Um, now the last listener one that came in was from Lane. He wanted to know what the training process was like. And if you think that it's too late to ever start training your dog for it. No, um, it's not too late. It's, you know, that's dependent on every dog. So I, I started Timber when he was two, which is still pretty young. I will say I had um, another lab with that I had that I shed hunted with that was nine. I think it was nine or ten when I started him. And I trained him at the same time I trained Timber just because he liked to work. He called on to it great. But the the only issue I would think with age on a dog is if they're physically capable because it is very um, it's very physically demanding on the dog, especially if you have to deal with like high temperatures. Um, like our season starts in September, it's still ninety to a hundred degrees here. Um, talking about terrain, I know you all have got some, um, you know, pretty steep terrain out there. Um, mm-hmm. If they can, you know, it's it's very 
physically demanding on the dog. So that would be my only concern with age on a dog. Um, how you get started. Well, first I would say that you need to collect some, some training supplies. So what you would need for training supplies are deer parts. Um, so typically start with a liver. Um, you want to collect some blood and you can keep all this stuff in the freezer. A lot of it can be other than the blood that you put on the ground can be reused a couple of times and then deer hooves. So if you're thinking about training your dog, like especially if your deer season is in right now, this is a great time to start collecting all the training supplies you will need. Um, you can cut your hoofs off like right above that that top joint. Um, I just when I when I got a deer, I use like a disposable cup and just scoop blood out of the, the body cavity. I freeze it and then um once I get outside of season, I have like an old blender I use just for deer blood and you have to like put it through the blender because it have a lot of clots in it. And then I yep. put it in little, little squeeze bottles, um, freeze the hooves. You can get four to five tracks out of the hooves. There's so, there's so much to the process. So what I, what I tell most people when they contact me is that there is a, what we call the Bible for tracking. And it's, you can buy this book on unitedbloodtrackers.com. It's called Tracking Dogs for Finding Wounded Deer. And there's also another book that's really good about shot placement and different ways to approach tracks for different places the deer's hit. And that's called Dead On. Um, those are those are the main books where you can like learn all that information. And then YouTube videos are very helpful too. So like when I was first learning, um, I like to watch Shane Simpson has some great YouTube videos. It's called the Cali Chronicles on YouTube. And I kind of learned from watching his videos, like what even tracking look like, like what, what, what was this going to look like once I put this all together for the dog? But I think, I think what people should do to learn the most is if you can find a tracker in your area, ask them if you can go with them. And I think you learn more from other people and watching their dogs and like actually you only like you learn most of what you learn is on the on the job experience so um repeated exposure so if you can go with another tracker that maybe give you a good idea if it's something you really want to do um it's a lot of late nights a lot of um you have to have good family support because you got to have somebody to watch your kids um it's crazy schedule um can cause family conflicts <laughs> um a lot of vet bills a lot of uh, human injuries. I've had several injuries myself. I come out of the, most of these bleeding. Um, and I don't know. I think you, if you can go with another tracker at first and make sure it's something you want to commit to and learn from, um, I think that's a good starting point. I know you said there's not a lot of trackers in your area. so I don't know if I there's know any, honestly. I know everybody's kind of spread out out there. And I, yeah, I don't. I don't know what I know a lot of trackers from other states. I don't know anyone from Montana. Um, I don't even, I'm not even familiar with your all's tracking laws. That's another thing you have to. So, it, you know, there's training the dog and then there's training the human. So train the training, the dog part is, you know, there's just basic training and then experience like that dog needs to see every different scenario of hits and like the dog is building on knowledge just as you're building on knowledge. So you want your dog to have as much exposure as possible. So if you're only going to take your dog on three or four tracks a year, um, they're probably not going to get to that like experienced tracking dog level. 
Like they need, they need, just need repeated exposure. Um, now for, as far as what the human needs to learn, like they need to, they need to understand scent, how scent behaves. They need to understand like weather, terrain, deer anatomy, what different types of blood look like, what hair looks like, what that means, what deer behavior means after the shot. Just like, you know, everything is a different piece of the puzzle, like the blood on the ground, the arrow. Um, but I think the biggest piece of the puzzle is how that deer behaved in determining, like trying to determine where that deer's hit. Um, you have to learn your dog. You have to learn what he's communicating to you. Um, you got to know all, all the laws in your state. Um, and I don't know, that's just some of, the, <laughs> some of the things you have to learn. It's just, it's a lot. Um, and as a hunter, like watch, I guess, like watching someone do it, it looks like, you know, I'm basically just following a dog on a lead, but there's a lot more work that went to that point. And there's a lot, and it's just, it's a continuous work in progress. Like I learn new things every year. Um, and deer are crazy. And, I, you know, you never my one of my mentors and friends al sherman says never say never because there's been times i'm like there's no way this deer is going to die and then 700 yards later there he is expired um and i'm like i don't even know how this deer died like <laughs> i would never thought this deer would have died i've got a broken arrow with fat all over it like i would have never thought this deer would expire but it was so just um it's a lot <laughs> yeah yeah um so you can, can you go anywhere and track them as long as you're following the local state laws or how does that work? Well, so there's, there's different networks in different states. Um, so I belong to, we, we just started our network here in Kentucky last year and the purpose of our network is, um, is kind of getting out the information to hunters, um, and everyone's transparent about their experience. So, you know, is this a team in training? Is this someone that's just starting out this year? Is there someone that's more of like a veteran team, um, being transparent, um, about the different teams experience and then where everyone's located to try to help hunters find people. Um, I'm also part of Indiana's tracking network, um, which is very similar. Now I think I can go, like I could go to Ohio and track if I wanted to, but yeah, I would have to be familiar with their, with their tracking laws. Um, now if I wanted to be part of that, that state's network, I would have to follow whatever rules of that network. And if I say network, that means I get put on their map and they have like a map for hunters that basically list all the trackers and kind of says, this is what their fee is. This is how much experience they have. Um, and they'll have different teams marked, you know, according to their experience level. And that, that way hunters kind of know who they're getting. And I think as a hunter, that's, you should, you know, if you're calling someone to track your deer, you should kind of vet your tracker. Like, um, you know, ask them questions like how long you've been doing this? Like, what's your recovery rate? If they say the recovery rate's like 90 to 100%, that's a red flag. <laughs> no one's that good. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not even not being that good. That means they probably are very selective about the tracks they take. Um, and it's just, it's not realistic. It's, that means they're, they're, their dogs probably only tracked a limited number of deer or, you know, tracking dead deer is, is a lot easier than tracking live deer, um, in my opinion. And like trying to determine how injured is this deer, like is this deer fatally hit? So, yeah. Okay. Now... 
got a couple questions here. I want to try to get knocked out before we run out of time. Um, let's go like this. So for people, because like I really don't know anything about tracking dogs, but if I had one local <laughs> to me that I was going to use, I got like a three-parter. What, if you think you might need a dog, what is the right thing to do? What do you not do? And then when's the right time to call you? Like me as a hunter, if I know I made a questionable hit, I think I might need a dog. What should I do? Mm-hmm. What should I definitely not do? And when do I know is the right time to call you? Okay. Um, the, the right time to call me, like if you already know your shot's questionable or you're questioning it, I would recommend to call immediately because most, and the people that have, that I've tracked for before, or that have seen the dog work, that's their, other than them maybe calling their spouse and saying like, yeah, I got him. They're going to probably text or call me next if they, if they question the shot, because most of us trackers have jobs, families, sports, uh, other obligations. So if there's only a couple of us in an area, like, and like I can only do on like a weeknight, I can maybe, I can do one person, maybe two at most, depending on proximity of how much driving I have to do. So if I'm only getting one person a day on a weeknight and I take it, it's first come first serve. So you want to be first in line or you at least want to be on my radar to get pushed to the next day. So like I would recommend calling immediately. The other thing, so where I see hunters making mistakes is not waiting. So the next thing I would tell you to do is to wait. Don't jump out of the stand 10 minutes after you shot the deer. Like wait, calm yourself down. Look like start making landmarks in in your mind. Like where was that deer standing? Because I'm going to start the dog where the deer was standing when you shot it. So that's one of the first things I want. I want you to take me to is I want to go the the shot site. Another thing I see people do is once they go to the shot site is they're so excited. They don't spend a lot of time at that shot site. So I'll ask people, did you get a pass through? And they'll say, I don't know. I never found my arrow. There's been several times when I arrive at the shot site that that arrow is not five feet behind where they shot the deer. And it's like sometimes sticking up out of the ground and they're so excited and they're so emotional that they couldn't even see that where it's plain for me to see. So like actually like trying to study that, that shot site, like, is there any hair here? Is there any blood here? Getting your arrow, looking at the arrow. And then if you're unsure, like if you're unsure of your shot or you don't know enough about looking at the arrow, like calling a tracker is completely free. Like calling for advice is completely free. So it's not going to hurt anything to call tracker. Cause there's times when I tell people, well, it sounds like you bingo the deer. Like if you've got a blood trail, just follow it. Like if you get in trouble, then call me back. Like, I'm not going to, you know, if I think, if I think you made a great shot and everything looks good, then if you can follow blood trail, then go ahead and follow it. So I don't think there's any harm in calling. Um, I would mark your shots. I, um, if you start, you know, tracking blood, like pictures are good too. So you can take pictures of everything on your, on your, um, your cell phone and like have all that information to send a tracker. We can like put more of the information together to know like where that deer is potentially hit. So take pictures. Um, I would mark blood as you're tracking. And then once you, once you like run out of blood or you, can no longer track blood, I would mark that spot too. And I would back out and not grid search. Um, Grid search is a no, no. Yeah. I'll tell you about that in a second, like kind of what, what, what that turns into, but 
So if, if you think like, for example, if you think you've double lunged your deer and you get down, like you wait two hours in your stand and you get down you start tracking and you get to like the 150, 200 yard mark and you haven't found your deer yet. Like you should, there should be red flags going off in your head. Like what, you know, you could have hit him really high, but at the same time, like, all right, I went 200 yards and I haven't found my deer yet. Like something might be wrong or if you get down and you start tracking and you jump your deer like you should back out at that point and call a tracker not continue to push the deer um i think a lot of it comes down to like patience with hunters because they're excited and they want to go get their deer which is understandable but like a lot of times that impatience a lot of times they're going to lose the deer um and a lot of people are afraid of like coyotes getting to their deer and honestly what i tell people is the biggest threat to them losing their deer is them not coyotes now there are times you know i can't control the coyotes like in an urban areas they'll eat a deer in six hours and there's really nothing we can do about that but if you get down and you push that deer two miles away you're never going to see it again because it's going to get on property that you can never so like the coyotes are at the least of your worry um I think humans are the bigger threat to losing a deer. Um, I do recommend when like you mark things in the woods, like if you're, if you're marking like last blood um, to use like a tangible object, I know a lot of people use like their Onyx and I use Onyx and it's great, but it's not a hundred percent accurate. So if you're marking last blood, like it's okay to mark it on Onyx, but also use like a tangible item. That'd be like a use toilet paper, marking tape, um, a hat, whatever, something that you can easily see again, because Onyx is not, you'll never find that drop of blood again, um, with nope. using like a, a digital map. And please, some people will mark it with like sticks or rocks, cigarette butts. You'll never find those again either. Cigarette um, butts, huh? I haven't heard that one. Yeah. Well, yeah. Or beer cans. And I mean, it's, I guess it's easier to find the beer can than anything, but the, you know, once you get out there in the dark, all there's sticks and rocks everywhere like so they all start looking a lot like so you'll never find that stick or that rock again i promise you you won't <laughs> the dog's probably gonna run past it but like you're never gonna find that spot so um people worry about rain too so rain like rain's not an issue for the dog it's only an issue for humans so like rain might wash away all of the visual scent but it actually freshens the track for the dog it actually makes it easier for the dog to track so like it's it's a lot harder on the dog to track when it's like a dry drought type condition or like when it's super windy but rain is actually very beneficial to the dog for tracking now i can't look at anything and confirm it but like as long as i'm trusting my dog and following my dog the rain's not an issue so i think a lot of people rush because they worry about rain um the other thing i would tell people is to like if the tracker gives you instructions to follow those instructions um sometimes people will continue to search after they've already called a tracker and sometimes that's just making a situation worse and it's also just like disrespectful to the tracker because like if I commit to someone, I, I've rearranged my entire life to go basically track their deer. Like I've, I've got childcare for, for my kid. Um, I've potentially taken time off work. I've taken time away from my family. Like I've put everything else on hold and I've made a commitment and rearranged my whole schedule come track for you. So like if you continue to track that deer and you find it before I get there, that's great. I'm so happy you found your deer, but like I've probably turned five other people away that called me because I made a commitment to you 
and you were the first one to call. So now I've left everyone else high and dry and I've rearranged, I've got a babysitter for my child and, and now like you didn't basically didn't respect my time. So I would tell people, you know, to respect the tracker's time and the commitment, follow their instructions. If they tell you to back out of the woods, which they're going to tell you to do. Um, the other thing is the grid searching. So basically if you think about there's this great picture that kind of portrays this. So if you think about like fresh snow, you think about someone that's like walks through that snow, like there's that one track where you can see that person walk through this, through the snow. Well, then if you take like, take seven kids behind that, that are running tracks and pulling sleds all through the snow. And you know what the snow looks like at that point. It's just, it's mushed up everywhere. So like that one line through the snow is what a, like a very clean track looks like where people haven't like basically gridded all over it. So that's kind of what the tracking dog is seeing. So like there's a, there's a scent line there where that, where that deer went. So if you get that deer scent all over your boot, and you walk everywhere the deer didn't go, you've basically made like false tracks everywhere for the dog. And it's just, just a lot of extra time and work to have to work through. And sometimes dogs can work through it and sometimes they can't. Um, I, I've found that on a leafly hit deer, my dog typically doesn't have as much trouble work, working through that. It's when it's a non-leafly hit deer that it's just, it's just a, like a jumbled mess of running everywhere and just following scent that leads to nothing. Um, so that's, and pe once people like, I don't, I take grid search tracks. I don't, some trackers will turn them down. Um, I take them. Um, so if someone comes and they see me have to work through that and they see, well, you know what? The dog ran that way. Cause I walked that way, but now we know the deer didn't really go that way. Cause once we find the deer, we know that's not really the way the deer went. And then they watch that. They'll never do it again. They'll be like, I saw, you know, I saw what happened when I researched and they're like, I'm never going to do that again. I'm just going to call you next time. Like it's, it's just so much easier. So like I, for example, a couple of weeks ago, I tracked for someone that, um, it was a friend of someone I had previously tracked for and the person I previously tracked for had grid searched and saw how much work. And it was, you know, it was a track I'd taken a couple of years ago. So we were even less experienced, but how much work we put in working through a grid search. And so they tracked the deer a hundred yards they lost blood. It started raining and they called me and I was there the next day and we found, we went 400 yards, found them deer in five and a half minutes. Like humans can't even do it that quickly if there's blood to follow. So like they, they said, okay, well, we've seen this happen before. We've seen what a grid search is. We're not going to grid search this. We're going to call her. And like they had their deer in five and a half minutes. It's like, so like people that have, have used like a tracking dog before realize that. And like the next time and that they'll do everything right the next time. And I, I feel like it's the people that do all those steps correctly that, that if it's a fatally hit deer, they're going to get their deer very quickly, typically in under 10 minutes and, um, have really good outcomes. So. So it just takes one time to get your experience into, uh, figure out that you know what you're talking about. <laughs> Pretty much, you know. No, that's not that's not true of all hunters, but uh, I do see some some people that make similar mistakes, you know, um, several times. But for the most part, once once somebody sees what the dog can do and how quickly they can and efficiently they can do it, it, like it changes their perspective on okay, 
next time, this is how I'm going to handle this situation. Or they've lost, maybe they've never used a dog before, but they've lost a deer before that really affected them. And so the next time they do call a dog and they're like, you know what? I've went through this before. I've lost a deer and I'm not even going to try to track it. Like I'm going to call a dog because I don't want this to happen to me again. It's just kind of like, you know, I know something's not right here. And I, you know, I lost 180 inch deer last year and I wish I'd known about dogs and I know about them now. So I'm going to call somebody to help me and I don't want that to happen again. So kind of an, an insurance plan. All right. I've got two more before I make you call it a night. <laughs> okay. What's your absolute best conditions for tracking? Like weather conditions? Um, definitely like wet ground. Wet. So does that mean the like rain. it was like rain before they shot or rained after they shot? Type of thing. Or does that matter? Either either way, either way, I the I'll, okay, I'll just tell you the worst tracking conditions. The worst tracking conditions are after we've been through um, a severe drought, really high winds are difficult for the dog because they actually blow that scent. Um, and when you've got like high swirling winds, it's just really difficult for the dog to work through that. So I don't like super dry. Um, I don't like um, high winds. And then terrain can be an issue too. So if you get into like deep ravines, um, like really steep terrain, like that scent can, can pull. Um, and that can make it difficult on a dog to work through. So the terrain can be an issue, but um, it doesn't matter when it, it could have rained three days ago, but the ground's still wet. I think those are the best, the best tracking conditions. Um, I like the cooler weather because, you know, I have labs. They don't, they don't really care for the heat um, when you're running a lot. I like it when it's below 50, but you know, like I said, our season starts in September. So it's still 90 then, but cooler weather um now if there's like a heavy frost on the ground you do have to let the frost like kind of burn off before you start because that that scent will be frozen in that frost so okay you want to be tracking in heavy frost um snow's not an issue the dog just like sticks its nose down you know to if it if the snow comes after the deer is hit that's not an issue we actually recovered one at like 76 hours i think one year what happened was the, the guy shot the deer. He gut shot the deer. We knew we couldn't go in after the deer for at least 24 hours. And then it, six inches of snow came between the time he shot the deer and the time we could actually go to appropriately track it. And then we couldn't get back to the road because the roads were so covered and it was too dangerous to drive. So we ended up, it was 76 hours post shop before we could even get there like safely by vehicle. And the dog just like literally just stuck its nose in the snow and was like tracked it. No problem. Um, of course, you know, snow's wet. There's moisture there. So not much issue with that. Um, but like I, what I really cringe with is like the really high winds when I'm talking like 20 plus mile an hour winds, um, high winds and dry conditions are the worst. Probably why there's no tracking dogs up here. Cause that's pretty much what our conditions are. 24 7 yeah well so here's the other thing i think on a fresh track that wouldn't be so much of an issue in the dry conditions because like i went on a bear hunt in arizona um like a year and a half ago and we used dogs but they're tracking like they're tracking the bears that have just been there like four or five hours for and that's almost like sand like conditions and they have no issues um but i think 
when we're tracking wounded deer, like a lot of, most of the times my, it's 24 hours post shot before I show up just because people are waiting for me to get off work or we've, I've made them wait that long after they've shot the deer. Um, you know, most of the time it's very delayed from the shot before I get there. So I, you know, I think that's not so much an issue on our terrain, but I think on like rockier or like more, I guess, sand and grain, like conditions i think this the track would have to be fresher because i mean those those dogs track the bear out there they track mountain lines too so um but i think those are fresh tracks too you're not talking about old tracks yeah so i think that's 72 hour one or whatever yeah yeah you're not it's not an old track so all right. I would say you don't have a lot of tracking dogs because everyone would have to drive like four hours. To <laughs> well, and it's not, I mean, a lot less population. A, we don't have as many archery of, hunters too. So I'm sure that's part of it. Most everybody's gun hunting. Of, we're on wide open. So you yeah. can pretty much see everything. It's not like it's, they take, they go yeah. 50 yards and they disappear into thick timber. I mean, they can go right. 400 yards. I hear 500,000 yards, not further. You can just see them running. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. All right. Now, the last thing, what was the hardest track that you had that you guys found the deer at the end, if you haven't already told it? I have so many stories. Oh, hardest one. I don't know. There's been a lot of, there's been a lot of hard ones. I had, so I'll tell you about my longest, longest track. I think my longest track was, I had one, um, that was hit in the liver by a young girl, um, where they had continuously pushed it during the rut. And we recovered that one at, I think it was 1.7 miles. Um, and then, and the only thing hard about that track was they had basically not followed like the actual bloodline. Like they had basically what I call gridded for blood. So just blindly walked around until they found blood and like, Oh, there's blood over here. Hey, yeah, there's blood over there. So really they'd spread scent everywhere. I think that's what maybe made that track more difficult. I have recovered and and I think we would have longer recoveries if people had the property lines, but most people don't have more than 200 acres here. And that's maybe even a stretch. A lot of people are on smaller properties. So um, we did have one we recovered at two miles that was shot in the ham with a muzzleloader. Um, and that one had to be dispatched, but like we continuously just kept jumping it until we're able to 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 um finish that one um i think most of the most of the hard tracks i've had are due to poor sending conditions or grid searching that as far as like what makes the track difficult um and when i like the sending conditions would be like just because they're extremely dry or we're in extremely high winds or i'm in very steep terrain where that like a deer if a deer is down in a ravine, there's so much scent pulling. It's very difficult for the, for the dog to like work through that. And you add like high winds on top of that. And I think those are difficult to work through. They just take like a lot of time. Um, I think some of the best tracks are the ones we have to work really hard for though, too. And I know like, you know, it's always satisfying to find the deer, but I think some of the tracks that I'm more satisfied with that were like really hard, like I don't think they're impressive for the hunter, but like, like I'm more impressed with my dog's work. Like we, if we show up like 30 hours after the shot and it's a non-fatal, you know, with 
it's a non-fatally hit deer and we track the deer and like high winds or like bad scent conditions for well over a mile and at a mile I can show him a drop of blood and confirm that my dog is like correctly tracking his deer and we've went this far the deer's never bedded down like that to me that's impressive I know that's not a <laughs> so much for the hunter because they didn't get their deer so they they leave empty-handed but like i'm completely satisfied with that as far as like my dog's work so i'm like he he did his job like we went forever with no blood and like a mile later he shows me like a single drop of blood that i can confirm on the ground and like confirms that we are still tracking this deer and to, to me that's like very satisfying so probably not so much for the hunter but <laughs> mm -hmm. well we covered a lot more than I thought we were going to get to tonight. That was a lot of info. Um, That's not even, I know <laughs> there's so much more to say. <laughs> there's, um, a little, it's, there's a lot to it. Yeah. yeah. We might have to do a part two, just listener question one. I didn't really yeah. get, get it out. I just texted a few friends right before we started here. So yeah. I just got a couple, but um, I guess if people, I want to follow you or whatever, see what your dogs do. How would they do that? Yeah. And if they need a tracking dog in Kentucky, how would they go about getting hold of you? Okay. Um, so we, I have a Facebook page. It's tracking with timber. Um, and then I have Instagram as well. It's at tracking with timber. Um, I'm on YouTube too, but I'm really, gosh, I'm trying to get better about using my GoPro, but um, there, it's just really hard. It, the first year, I had the GoPro and the dogs back and people complained because it was too much like Blair Witch Project and it was just, <laughs> you know, made you dizzy. Um, so this year I wore the GoPro and I was really good the first month of like really recording a lot of my tracks. But as I got busy, I quit charging the thing and I just, you know, it just got too crazy and I quit recording. So I think I have like five or six videos from this year that are, it's at, um, Tracking with Timber on YouTube. So you can watch a couple of videos, but um, I'm really bad about once it gets into the heat of season, not keeping all my electronics charged up. So um, I'm trying to get better on on wearing the uh, the GoPro. But um, yeah, so Facebook or Instagram, my phone number's on there. Um, people can reach out. So, well, perfect. Thanks, a pile for coming on. Like I said, we learned a lot. Thanks for having me. I feel like I rambled forever. <laughs> oh, it's good. It's not like Probably it was just like a ramble. It's all it's all good info. So Yeah. I got I like to tell stories, so I have a bunch of stories. So That's perfect. Like I said, I'll probably have to get you on for a second one and do some uh, listener questions to get some of those. People okay. have heard enough of me talking over all these episodes. They're here for the guests, not me. So when you come on talk like that, that's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for having me. Yep. Uh you have a great night and we'll talk to you later. You too. All right, bye.